0: I remember at um high school or when I was a teenager that, that there'd be times when we'd have speakers come to to come to the school or, or come to church and um often at school there'd be some motivational speaker that would have overcome some adversary thing and, and done something amazing but but in church often we would get these speakers come and they'd they'd have this testimony that was just amazing, where there'd been something that had happened in their past. Maybe they had an addiction or something that they were tied to that they couldn't break, yet through God's incredible grace and mercy and through a relationship with Jesus, their life was radically transformed and and they were saved into something even better and a a better life. And I remember as a teenager... um, missing the entire point instead of hearing about what the relationship with jesus did i remember just hearing what they'd been through and thinking like my story's boring i go, and i remember as a probably a 14 year old or something thinking like being actually really genuinely upset it's like wish i was on drugs like, cause, which is ridiculous, but because I, I didn't have a good testimony. I didn't have a good God story in, in the eyes of transformation from something to something. I was like, it was, it was crazy. And then as I sort of grew up, I, I realized that actually a testimony is actually not about us. It's about what God has done in us and about, you know, the only choice we have as people is to, let go of what was ruling our lives and submit it to God's rule. And that's what a testimony is. It's sharing a story of what once ruled your life and how God now rules your life. It's, it's this was my ruler and now I'm submitting that to God's rule. And that makes the best testimonies. Now, I wonder for us, because yeah, we see a tension in here, like what rules your life? What, what is it? You know, and we'd, we'd want to say God, but we know in reality there's times when there is a wrestle. We see it all the way through Scripture. The only person that didn't have this wrestle, the only one that didn't give in to the wrestle was Jesus, which means that we're all going to wrestle with this at times. So I wonder what some of the things that we wrestle with when it comes to ruling our life could be. For some of us, there may be an, addic- an addiction. I've got to say, two months in bed... Um, creates quite a great Netflix addiction uh, of watching a lot of TV, which I've had to break. Uh, I was like, man, I just want to know what happens and binge-watching episode after episode. I can't do that anymore. Um, I've got to break that addiction and submit and put God where he needs to be and get my my life sorted out in in that area. For others, the, the thing that can rule their life may be work. And you may find yourself justifying, I'm working to provide for my family, but all of your time, all of your thought, all of your energy, all of of everything you can do is in your workplace, which would show that it actually rules your life. Money can rule your life, friends, social media, your family can rule your life, your kids can rule your life, and they probably do. Uh, and, And in that space, yeah, traditions can rule your life, the way that that you think it's always been done and you have to do it that way because of the tradition. And of course, coffee rules all of our lives. And That's maybe not a bad thing, but yeah. When it comes to the things that rule our life, something that rules us really becomes our king, the thing that we submit to. And so this leads us into this series, which is called The King and I. And we're going to look at the things that rule our lives, the, our relationship with the things that dictate how we react to things, how we, we respond to things and how we submit to, to issues, pressures, people or things. And to do this, each message through this series, we're going to look at three things every message. The first is, if we're going to look at kings, well, let's look at the greatest king Israel ever saw, the greatest king of the Old Testament. And so we're going to be looking at the character of King David. We're well, are going to look at the, the greatest king that ever walked the earth, which of course is Jesus Christ. And then we're going to look how, at how David responded to something, how Jesus responded to something, and to see how that relates to us. And so that's where this series come from, comes from called The King and I. Now, why would we even bother looking at the Old Testament? Why would we even bother looking at, at David? Because as, as we know, he failed. He was a good king, but there's times when he wasn't, and he, and he messed up. Well, David's actually quite a a focal character in the Bible. He's actually mentioned, his entire life story is mentioned in in the book of Samuel through sort of into the Kings. And then he's referenced in the New Testament 59 times, which means that this guy is probably worth having a look at. It was through David's family tree, his, his lineage or his genealogy, we see that the Messiah, the saviour of the world would be born, which is Jesus Christ. And so because of that, if the, the Old Testament says he's important, if the New Testament says he's important, well, he's probably important. So we're going to spend some time looking at David. But to do that, before we dive in, we're going to look at how the time period affects the way we read the old testament. And so a little bit of a history lesson before we sort of jump in to so the key passage. And so we see that the the year is the 11th century BC before Christ and in that we see the book of first and second Samuel and the first of book and second first book first and second kings I don't know what I was going to say then. And these two books were originally There's four books, but originally there were two. The book of Samuel, not first and second, but they they were one literary piece, was actually the writings of the prophet Samuel who God used to share God's message with his people. And in those days, that was how you heard from God. God would speak through his prophets. And what they said was essentially law because it came directly from God. Then we see the book of kingdoms originally, the, the original title was kingdoms, which is the, the kings that came out of the what is now Second Samuel and how they acted. Now through David's journey, he united all the different tribes and then through the kingdoms they fractured off again. But David's important because he unites the nation, we'll talk about that in just a second. And so I've got this book of Samuel and book of Kingdoms, and then when the Greek translation came through, called the Septuagint, the Septuagint then splitted it, splitted it, <laughs> um, splitted them into two books: first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, for referencing reasons. We see that this is a time, as I said, where the, the tribes, the, the nation of Israel, aren't isn't really a nation; they're God's people and they've been given this land called the Promised Land, known as Canaan. It's modern-day Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and Israel. It's in that space in the world today. And this Promised Land was given to God's people, but there's these tribes that came out of of Judah's family tree, and these, these tribes aren't really getting on well. You're going to have to use your imagination for this. But picture this. Picture one country with different states and territories, where each state and territory is sort of making up their own rules and their own translations of what's happening in the world. And then when you get to the borders, there's like tension because it it doesn't translate across the border. You might have to use your imagination. and I might be a bit cheeky in sharing that. But that's the way the world was back then. And there's these tensions and these interpretations of Scripture and how to live that, that means that they're not all united. And David's going to come in and unite them, which is one of the reasons that he became this sought-after king because he united all of the tribes under one, one God, one nation. And so, so David's worth looking at. But, but how does David begin? What's his origin story? Well, firstly, we see that, that Samuel is getting older. Samuel, the, the prophet, is getting older in age. And we see that, for whatever reason, his kids aren't really following the, the way of God. They're, they're actually, as I said, about what rules your life. They're not submitting to God's rule. They're putting earthly rule, greed and lust and corruption and stuff in. And it's not going so well. And so we see in 1 Samuel chapter, um, chapter 8, verse 1, "...when Samuel grew old, he, appoint, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders." And in verse 3, it says, But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, and they accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, You are old. That's like a bit of a hit. You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint us a king to lead us such As the other nations have. Are they submitting to God as king and God as ruler? Or where are they looking for their rulership? Where are they looking for their kingship? They're not looking to God. They're now looking, we want someone to lead us like they and they have. They're not looking to God. They're looking at others. Such as the other nations have. In verse 6, but this... Uh, but when they said, God, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, and so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to what the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. We see this as a really sad moment in Israel's history as God stopped being their direct king and the people started looking for human kings to lead them and as we know we're failed. Samuel himself for whatever reason his kids aren't following his ways and and they've been rejected as as prophets and ambassadors between God and his people and so God loves his children. He loves them deeply And, and while he doesn't agree with what they're asking for he still gives them a king. And the design is that I will give you a king and that king will submit to my rule and and follow me. And what you're looking for is a king that you respect and this is is what you're looking for. Now in those days, these are incredibly war-torn times. These are are bloody and violent and and fearful times of of horrendous war scenes that, that we can't even compare anything that we've been through in our lifetime to and so with that what makes a good king well you've got to be a good warrior you've got to be a good fighter you've you've got to be tall tall is actually a thing back then you know we've got some tall people playing guitar today we've got tall people on sound you know we're we're blessed to have tall people around yeah Um, (laughs) and and but in those days tall was good because as you're fighting you can see your leader above the crowd and they can lead you because of their height. We're going to hear about a really tall opposition person. Uh, Once again, it's a thing. And so they they get this king called Saul. Saul is tall, he's handsome, and he's a good warrior. And for the most part, he starts off submitting to God's rule. And he leads his people. But slowly, King Saul starts to not submit to God's rule, and relents and starts to submit to the rule of other things. Pride, ego, greed, lust, all start to, to get the better of him. And we see this turning point where God rejects Saul as king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we read that God has commanded Saul, I want you to take out the enemy. Now, not just take out the enemy, like, take all of them out, wipe them off the face of the earth. Now, sometimes we read these passages in Scripture and go, man, loving God, wiping out an entire people group, how does that work? Like, really? That doesn't stand. How can that that God be the same God of the New Testament that loves us so much He sent His Son? How does that work? Uh, If you want to go a little bit deeper, in your study notes, uh, which you can get either on the web page, you can collect hard copies at church, um, or download... Hey, straight from the webpage, it's probably the easiest way. Um, those study notes actually have a page dedicated to this part of Scripture. I didn't want to overlook, at, overlook it, but I did not want to go into it in huge detail today. But essentially, there is, this is a wicked people group that have been murdering, not only the, in war times, but, but picking off the, the women, the elderly, and the children, burning crops, and just doing terribly wicked things all the way since Genesis, So for a really long time, God's people have been attacked by this people group called the Amalekites. And, And through that, they have been crying out to God and crying out to God and crying out to God. And here God says, I hear your prayer and I answer it through the king that you wanted. You wanted a king? I gave you a king. You wanted an answer to prayer? Here's the answer to prayer. King, give me the answer to prayer. And then King Saul gets there and goes, yep, I'm going to wipe everything out, I'm going to follow God, but man, that, that crop looks good. Man, those animals look really... We just can't kill all the animals. Like, surely we'll keep some of them. Some of, they, some of their people are good workers. Let's keep some of the... And they keep some of the stuff. And they actually, That actually leads to um, some of the downfall in further scripture. And we actually see that it's at that point that because Saul doesn't obey God, um, he is rejected as king. Which brings us to our primary text today. And as we we open up scripture, I want to ask you the question about humble beginnings. You see, while we're doing a bit of an oversight with some of the theology today, some of the the foundation work for this passage of Samuel, I wonder what humble beginnings look like. You know, when I I talked about the testimony, I, I was upset because i'm thinking oh man i've just got humble beginnings in my story i don't have a great story i actually grew up in the church which is the best story of all like don't we want you know for parents don't we want that for our kids for them to grow up in the church and not make some of the mistakes that we see that are out there in the world but humble beginnings mean even more than that that we we humble ourselves And God can use those no matter where you've come from to do amazing things in your life. Because it's, once again, it's not about what we've done. It's actually about what we submit to God. And there's always a wrestle in that and how we um, live to God's rule and submit those things to him. And so we're going to see a humble beginning in this passage today. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Remember, Saul has just been denounced as king. And Samuel's really upset about it. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Now, the, the horn with oil was for anointing. And, and we've, we've gone through this again, but it's a really quick overview of anointing again. Is that, that back in the day, if you had a special ram or sheep... Or, or animal, there were lots of bugs and there were these ticks that would actually get into their wool and fur and try and bore into their head and kill the animal. And so what they would take is, is oil, which is an expensive thing, you don't just buy it from the supermarket, You got it's got to be pressed and made, and you'd take this precious thing and anoint the animal by putting the oil and rubbing it in, which meant that these bugs couldn't get a grip, and that it would save the animal. Now, you couldn't save all the animals because you didn't have enough, so... The anointing origins are, you are chosen, you are saved, you are special, you are set apart. And that's the origin of anointing. That went on to say you are anointing as the set apart, you know, this passage, king. You are anointed as king. And as we get to the New Testament, we hear that those that believe in Jesus are anointed and set it apart. And so I want you to know that you are anointed, you are set apart, you are chosen, you are special when it comes to your relationship with God. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Remember, this is before Jesus. And so to be forgiven for sins, you had to offer a sacrifice. And before you did that, to say, I'm sorry, you also had to prepare yourself through a ritual called consecration and you would consecrate yourself before you went to a sacrifice it's going to come into this in a moment as well which is just preparing yourself to think about what I've done what have I done wrong that I need to say sorry for and also I'm going to offer a sacrifice for the things I'm not I can't even remember that I've done just to make sure that I'm now okay in my relationship with God and so that was the ritual of consecration. Invite Jesse to sacrifice, and I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint the one for me that I will indicate. Samuel did what the Lord says, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders in the town trembled when they met him. They asked, asked did, did you come in peace? They were so afraid of his God passing judgment. Had they done something wrong? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and the sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Elam and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed standing here before me, before the Lord. This is the one. This guy, man, the oldest, the firstborn, the one that, that of course, the firstborn in those days was the most important. Firstborn had the inheritance, the firstborn inherited the, the honour of whatever the family business was, but also the honour of caring for the elderly and the responsibility that goes with them, it was a big deal. And so he's the eldest, tall, good looking, got, got it all. And Samuel thinks, yep, this is the one. But the Lord said to Samuel, I do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Ananiab, and had him pass passed in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shemiah. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. Then he asked Jesse, Are these all of the sons that you have? Well, they're still the youngest. They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, and he's out tending the sheep. Have you ever been picked last? Remember say maybe some of you are still in high school, but you remember high school when you're playing a game and people are picking you for the team and and I don't know if you were like me, I wasn't very good at some sport. I I got the participation in the try-hard awards, but I never really got the the gold medals. But um just I don't know if it's coordination or what, but but a couple of times I got picked last and oh and the thing about being picked last is it's deliberate. It's a judgment statement. I'm not trying to make you feel worse if you get picked last, but, but it, there's, there's something that's, that's a terrible feeling, isn't it? Now, there's a difference between being picked last and forgetting, and so I just want to make that clarification. Um, I think I I'm, I'm, have an average at the moment of once a year, I forget to bring one of my kids home from church. Um, it's not deliberate, and it's not that I don't love them, because I do, um, but about once a year, I get home. And see a vet and do a head count, go, (laughs) and then try and sneak out of the house and get in the car and drive back to church to pick up um, the child that I forgot to take home. Um, I think it's been Rylan the last couple. Sorry, mate. (laughs) Two weeks consecutive, was it? There you go. Yeah. Now, now with that, it's not deliberate. It's an accident. It's my it's my mental capacity in the moment. Not very good. I own it. It's terrible. But what we see here is a deliberate choice not to choose someone. We see that that David is deliberately chosen last. Actually, he's not even chosen at all. He's so far down the pecking order that they don't even invite him. He's out doing something else. We won't even bother. He's number seven. We won't even bother getting David. You want to talk about humble beginnings? This guy's not even a thought when it comes to what's happening in something that is so important to their faith, so important to the town, so important to the family. And this guy is not even an afterthought. Now get this. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. That was verse 11. And so what we see is now, they've got to go find him. He's out with the sheep. There's not pen, like, paddocks like we have nowadays they're just out with the sheep wherever their sheep are and now they've got to go find him they've got to go get him bring him back this is a sacrifice setting so now he's got to be consecrated and prepared for it this is not a quick oh there he is just down in the backyard I'll go get him this is a process and Samuel says we're not going to sit down and so poor old Jesse's probably sitting there going oh oops I've messed up So they sent for him, verse 12, and brought him in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Now remember, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, looks at the heart, but he also had outward appearance. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel, Samuel went up to Ramah. We see that David wasn't even considered. David was overlooked. David wasn't even thought of. Yet God saw something in David. And God chose David. From humble beginnings to to be, under God's rule, the greatest king that Israel ever saw. See, there's something about humble beginnings, because it doesn't matter where you are. You, You may feel like that you've never been chosen. Maybe you feel like you're last. Maybe you feel like you're overlooked. But I want you to know that God has anointed you the same as David was anointed. You are chosen. God is saying to you, you are the one. And God wants to take you on a journey. It actually doesn't matter where you've come from. God has a place for you to go to when you have a relationship with him. And it doesn't matter what your background is. God has a plan and a purpose. You see, God actually understands humble beginnings. See, God loves you so much that he humbled himself and that he sent his son to earth. And Jesus came from heaven to earth. We see that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. A virgin will conceive and give birth to the Son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God came to us from heaven to us, humbled himself to come onto this earth. And in doing that, we see he didn't come as a king, he didn't come into wealth. Luke chapter 2, verse 7, when it talks about Mary, it introduces the passage with Mary. It says she gives birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and places him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. If you want humble beginnings, Jesus gets humble beginnings. He was born into an animal shelter and placed into an animal feed trough. Talk about humble beginnings. Jesus then grew up in a way that he can relate to where you've come from. He, he can relate to what you've been through. His family disowned him. His, his best friends kept falling asleep in Gethsemane. When they arrested him, his, his close-knit group spread and ran away from him. One of his closest friends totally disowned him, not once, but three times. He was beaten, he was mocked, he was falsely accused, he had a false trial, he was put onto a cross. He gets humble beginnings. And the reason that we want to submit to God's rule is this is a God that understands what you're going through. This is a God that understands where you're at. This is a God that understands where you've started in life, but wants to take you somewhere better through a relationship with him. This series, we have the opportunity to go through some things that may rule our life in a way that we can submit them to God's rule. Times when we see this journey that God has for us, when we think about the King and I and what that relationship can do as we journey into the future. Next week, we look at what it is to be a reluctant hero. How maybe God God wants to take us from here and, and journey us to there, but in that, I don't really want to do that, I don't know what this looks like, I don't know, but in that, God can take your willingness to be obedient, and you can be the hero of a story, even if you don't want to go. But in a good way. We're gonna see what it is to become in incredible pressure. And we know that there's lots of pressures in the world at the moment. How do we show godly character and integrity when we're under pressure? We're going to see how God is a God of second chances. And no no matter how much we've messed up and put other things ruling our life, God is a God of second chances. And how, finally, we're going to see how we can be men and women after God's own heart. I want to invite you to journey with us through this series as we look at the king and I, and I want you to know that no matter where you've come from, God has somewhere for you to go when you have a relationship with him. From humble beginnings, God turned a shepherd boy into a king, a baby born into a manger to the saviour of the world, and he has a plan for you. Now brings This now brings us to a time of communion, and with this idea of humility and this idea of the king and I, we have an opportunity to look at humility and the cross in two different ways. We've spoken about it a little bit, the first, time, the first one a little bit, in that God humbled himself so much that he sent his son to earth to die on the cross for you and for me. The second thing that we are reminded of around humility when it comes to the cross is this that that when we come to the cross we acknowledge something we acknowledge that there is nothing that we can do to repay what God did for us I know I get a sense of achievement when I do something you know I don't want handouts I want to earn my way you know, when I do a hard day's work, I, I get a, a, a good day's pay. When I, when I work hard on something at home and stand back and I see what I've created, there's a, a sense of pride. But there is nothing that I can do to work my way into heaven. There is nothing that I can do to say thank you for what God has done for me. And so when we come to the communion table, it's a time of humbling ourselves and just saying, there's nothing I can do. Say so thank you that you did it. Humbly, I accept what you did, knowing that there is, there is nothing in me that can thank you enough for the gift that you, you gave me through your sacrifice. Communion is a humbling experience, which is why we do it every single week. No matter what your weeks look like, this is a moment to, to come before God and humble yourself and say, I am sorry that I have messed up once again. I'm sorry that I've put other rules before you. I humble myself and say I'm sorry and thank you for forgiving me for those things. And I ask that as I go into this week that I would humbly go into this week with humility in my relationships, with grace in my conversations and compassion as I love those around me. Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. What a humbling thing that he did. And then this is the blood of the new covenant that is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And as we just heard in Samuel, when it talks about the sacrifice that Samuel gave for the forgiveness of sins, we see Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. And we see, that this act of humility has saved us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you humbled yourself, that you came from heaven to earth to live a perfect life. And in doing so, you were able to take what you didn't deserve in that all that we have done wrong in our relationship with God, you took unto yourself so that we would be made pure, clean, white as snow. So God, we humbly thank you. We say sorry for the things that we have done wrong and we we come before you with a repentant heart and ask for your forgiveness and thank you for what you did for us. God, we ask that we would be humble in the way that we interact with others because you are humble with us. We ask that from this day, from this moment, that we would once again reflect on what you did for us with humble beginnings so that we could be the men and women that you've called us to be. Thank you for what you did on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take the elements in your own time.